finding this to be the triumphant end of a thorough and faithful exercise of life and discipline. You have kept your mouths unstained from chocolate. You have kept your eyes free of reality TV. You may have even kept your nervous system free from caffeine. I'm proud of our friend Wendy Tuttle. She has managed to keep her fingers off of the angry birds for Lent. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the phenomenon, I think we have a little promotional uh, clip that we can show so you know what, uh, what we're talking about here. It's a little game that works on iPhones. It's easier to play on a computer, actually. See, the, uh, <clears throat> the little green things are pigs, and the premise is that the birds are angry at the pigs because the pigs stole their eggs, and uh, the eggs seem to show up in a frying pan with the pigs in uh, the various uh, videos going with the game, uh, and so the birds are executing their wrath, their just vengeance upon the pigs, for having stolen their children, presumably for breakfast purposes. And it's a fun game, and it's addictive, and uh, if you want to justify it, you can learn a lot about physics by playing it. But it's fairly simple, right? It's fairly straightforward morally, right? The pigs have stolen the birds' children. The pigs are not giving back the birds' children. The pigs show no signs of remorse at all for what they have done when the birds fail to wipe out the pigs. The pigs laugh at them, a really evil chortle. But the truth is that the birds are not the only ones who are angry. The birds are not the only ones who have enemies. We read in Psalm 110, this is a Psalm of David, Yahweh says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Yahweh will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle, arrayed in holy majesty. From the womb of the dawn, you will receive the dew of your youth. Yahweh has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead 
and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook beside the way, therefore he will lift up his head. It's not just the angry birds that have enemies. Who else has enemies? And all the people said, okay. just because it's not Sunday morning, the answer still works. Jesus has enemies, doesn't he? And what does Jesus do with his enemies here in the text? The answer is not Jesus. What does he do with the enemies? He fills the valley with their corpses. That's very good. Heaping up the dead. Yeah, that's, that's the idea. Jesus smites his enemies. And that's pretty cool, isn't it? Right? I mean, God is going to deal with his enemies. He's going to execute his fierce wrath on the people who have come against him. He is going to vindicate himself and his people, and he is going to crush his enemies. That's good news, right? Not if you're the enemy. And here's the problem. We're the enemy. James says in chapter 4, verse 4, he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you can't have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You don't have because you don't ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. Because all you want to do is spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes a what? An enemy of God. Paul talks about this when he's writing to the Colossians. Beginning of Colossians, he has this majestic hymn to Christ, this just gorgeous, soaring description of Jesus as the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Because see, here's why this was necessary. At one time, you were alienated from God. Your enemies and your minds because of your evil behavior. That's the way Paul puts it in Romans. He says that since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Jesus? Because if when we were in if we when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? No. The human condition is that of being an enemy of God. God built us, He made us, He created us to be in relationship with Him. And that story we read in Genesis is the universal human story of our spurning His love, of our rejecting 
His guidance, of our turning our backs on Him and choosing to go our own way. And because of that, placing ourselves in a state of hostility, posturing ourselves no longer as God's friend, but as His enemy. And there's no middle ground. Switzerland does not show up anywhere in the Bible. You can't be neutral in this. Either you are an enemy of God or you are a friend of God. So what does God do with His enemies? He crushes His enemies. He destroys His enemies. He eliminates His enemies. He utterly humiliates His enemies unless He makes them His friends. There's another psalm in the Psalter, another David psalm, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? This is the first line of the song that Jesus says when he's on the cross. One of the most irritating of that famous list of the seven final verses because so many people neglect to read through to the end of this thing. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? My God, I I cry out by day, but you don't answer. I cry out by night. I'm not silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You're the praise of Israel. And you, our fathers, put put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and they were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I'm a worm and not a man. I'm scorned by men. I'm despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in Yahweh. Let Yahweh rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From my birth I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb you've been my God. Don't be far from me, for trouble is near and there's no one to help. Here are the enemies again. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions tearing their prey. Open their mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It's melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They've pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. But you, O Lord, O Yahweh, don't be far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear Yahweh, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel, for he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. This is the answer to my God. My God, why have you forsaken me? From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you will I fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek 
Yahweh will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to Yahweh. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. These are the same nations that would have been the ones coming against his people. These are the same nations that would have been postured as enemies of God and his people. Now they will bow down before him for dominion belongs to Yahweh and he rules over the nations. All the earth, the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn for he has done it. Another one of those last words on the cross. Tetelestai, it is finished. Done. He has done it. How does God make His enemies His friends? He does this by making it possible for them to come to Him. He does it by making it possible for them to turn from their sin and their wickedness and their evil and their selfishness, their hostility, their rebellion, and to choose instead to follow in a path of reconciliation. And we've been looking at that in Leviticus, where God makes possible makes it possible for His people to come near to Him to bring acceptable worship. He ordains the sacrifices that they bring and how they bring it and how much and how often and by whom. But the writer of Hebrews tells us, look, this this old covenant, it only got us so far. It only got us so far. So you had all these high priests in the Old Covenant, but they died. And you had to have the next one come up. And then he died. But see, because Jesus lives forever, he's got a permanent priesthood. And therefore, he's able to save thoroughly all those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. That's the kind of high priest, the writer of Hebrews says, who meets our need. One is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, he doesn't have to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and for the sins of the people. No, because he didn't have any of his own sins to sacrifice for, for one thing. But he sacrificed for all their sins once for all when he offered himself. Torah appoints as high priests men who were weak, but the oath which came after the law, after Torah, appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. See, the ministry Jesus has received writer of Hebrews tells us, is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is the mediator is superior to the old one. And it's founded on better promises. And he tells us about 
all the regulations for worship, reminding us of all the ways that God had set up his tabernacle and the regulations for how worship could be brought acceptably. But see, when Christ came as high priest, the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that isn't man-made. It's not just to say it's not a part of this creation. He didn't enter by the means of blood of goats and calves like any other priest would. No, he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls, the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who were ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they're outwardly clean. Well, how much more then? Will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first. Just as all of us are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. See, he not only makes his enemies his friends, he rescues his friends from his enemies. Enemies like sin, the accuser, the world, the flesh, the devil, death itself, not to skip ahead to Sunday morning too quickly. That's the last enemy to be destroyed. God destroys his enemies. And he saves his friends from them. Day after day, every priest will stand and perform his religious duties again and again, offering those same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But see, when our high priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he didn't get up day after day. He didn't go every year into the most holy place. He sat down at the right hand of God because the work was done. And since that time, he waits for what? He waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Because he still has enemies. And they still will need to be dealt with. Because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. This is how Jesus himself put it. As John records it in his gospel, chapter 6. Jesus was escaping from the crowds because they were after a free lunch. 
And he answered, look, I, I, you and I both know that you're looking for me, not because you saw these miraculous signs, but because you had lunch. You had your fill. But listen, don't work for food that spoils. Work for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On Him, God the Father has placed His seal of approval. And they asked Him, all right, well, what do we have to do to do the work that God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one He has sent. The work of God is this, to believe in the one He has sent. What must we do to do the works God requires? Here's what you've got to do. The work of God is this, to believe in the one He has sent. That's Jesus. So they asked Him, well, what miraculous sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? Our forefathers ate the man in the desert. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So... Lunchtime? Jesus said to them, straight up, it's not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven. It's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. And Jesus declared, I would slap you if I could do all of you at one time. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But just like I told you, you've seen me and still you don't believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of all that he's given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. At this time, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, well, isn't this Jesus? Isn't this Joseph's son? We know them. How can, he, how can he now say, oh, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It's written in the prophets. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from Him comes to Me. No one's seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only He has seen the Father. Well, listen, I'm telling you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert. And guess what happened to them? They died. But here, here's the bread that comes down from heaven which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this guy give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I am telling you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is real food. My blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. 
just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna, and then they died. But he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He who feeds on this bread is no longer an enemy of God, but is his friend. And he will raise him up on the last day. And he will rescue him from God's other enemies. And he will, through Jesus, come to the Father and be reconciled. This is why we take communion when we do here at New Hope. Because Jesus commanded us to. And because when we do, we affirm that He is the bread of life. We agree with Him when we take it. That He is the way to the Father. And we do this together because we are all of us in the same boat. We all are, are all of us justly, by virtue of our sin, objects of His wrath, yet at the same time recipients of His mercy, covered over by the blood of Jesus shed to reconcile us to God so that the just and righteous wrath of God falls not on us, but on Him. The grand joke of the whole thing on Good Friday is that God's enemies, thinking they had defeated their foe, ended up being defeated themselves, raising Him up on a cross for his humiliation, they ended up raising him up on a cross for his glorification. And by spilling his blood, they so unwittingly and looking like such fools gave that blood to be poured out and brought into the true, most holy place for the redemption of all who are in Christ. So I invite all of you who are in Christ, who are redeemed by His blood, will you stand with me? Will you share with me in these words of the Nicene Creed that God's people have shared in for so many centuries now? I invite you to come up and take the elements Bring them back to your seat and we will take of them together. The white is grape juice, the red is wine, the bread is unleavened. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is, seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through Him all things were made for us and for our salvation. 
he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary, was made man for our sake, crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. The third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.
Matthew's Gospel that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and after he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Paul tells us that when we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.